So I want to tell you the story of uh, how I wrote the first song that we sang today. Um, I was living in Philadelphia at the time in an intentional Christian community, which means that uh, we were a group of people who there was four of us, grown adults, living together in a house, sharing our money, sharing our food, uh, sharing times of daily prayer, of uh, weekly gatherings, of sort of family meals together. We were all in deeply involved in the community. The purpose of it was to be um, a kind of miniature monastic community. I mean, all throughout history, um, whenever the church has kind of gotten a bit too powerful and a bit too comfortable and a bit too awful, there have been these monastic movements. You know, think of monks, uh, where people will go off into the edges of society, they'll live together, they'll live simply, they'll devote themselves to prayer and to changing their community. And these little towns kind of grow up around all these, mon all these monasteries. So... There's a movement in the church now that they call it neo-monasticism, where we're doing that, but we're doing it in the fringes of cities that have been forgotten and uh, left behind by developers and politicians, where people are struggling to make ends meet. And so people move into these places, live intentionally simple lives, and devote themselves to the community where they are planted. So I was in one of those communities. I was mm, 22 years old, so young and idealistic. We were going to change the entire world, also our little corner of West Philly. So the guy who owned the house, um, he also had two daughters. Um, I think they were eight and 12 at the time. And uh, he and his wife had been divorced for some time. They were sharing custody. Uh, she lived down the street in West Philly. And so half of the time we would have four grown men and uh, a couple of tweens in the house. And it was amazing. And they were the sunshine of our lives. We love those girls so much. And then one day we got awful news that um, the girl's mother had decided to move. She was going to move out to the main line because why not? Um, she was dating a guy who had no job and spent his days playing World of Warcraft. Um, she herself, not a great person. I might be biased. I didn't like her as a human. I think she was pretty awful. Sorry if anyone is watching this who knows her. Um, that's not very pastoral and Christian of me, but I'm a work in progress too. And so she sued for full custody because she wanted the kids to go grow up on the main line and out of the dangerous city. And so they went to trial. They went to custody hearings. And if we lost the girls, then um, my housemate would only ever get to see them once every other weekend or so. And they would no longer live here. They would no longer live with us. They'd no longer live in the city. Now, if you ask the girls, 
They said, we want to stay home. We want to stay with dad. We want to stay in West Philly. Dad, by the way, is a professor at University of Pennsylvania with a PhD and a whole bunch of money and who has got a great head on his shoulders and loves his girls. He's just an incredible father. Is the dad that I would love to be. So objectively, thanks, Charles. <laughs> objectively, it seems like they would be better off where they want to be. But the kids don't get a say in these sorts of trials. And I don't know how familiar you are with the whole custody process, but they, courts generally tend to favor the mother, and they generally tend to favor the suburbs over the dangerous city, despite what the kids want, despite what's best for them. And so this was tearing my housemate apart, and all of us who love those girls so dearly, the thought that we were going to lose them, and that he was going to lose his daughters. And like I said, we gathered for prayer every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. And at one point, he said to the group, I'm tired of praying like a wimp, of saying, God, you're going to do whatever you're going to do, and uh, just help me to be okay with it. He said, there's so many times in scripture where it says, pray boldly, ask for what you want. There's a parable that Jesus tells about a persistent widow who says, uh, who goes up to a, a corrupt judge and says, give me justice, give me justice every single day until the judge says, oh, I'm so sick and tired of you. I will just give you what you want so you can get out of my face. And Jesus says, do that. Bug God until you get what you want is the moral of that story. At least that's how I read it. And that's how he read it, too. And so we devoted ourselves to pestering God over and over and over and over and over and over again. And to praying with boldness and to thanking God in advance for uh, inspiring the judge to keep the girls with us. And he said, you know what? I'm not even, even going to pray that, that things stay the same. I'm going to pray that we get them all the time. That we get full custody. And so we prayed and, and, I, and I as an idealistic 22-year-old was like, yeah, I'm ready to name it and claim it. I've always had a hard time with prayer, by the way. But we'll get to that later. And so one beautiful summer day, I was sitting out on our front porch in West Philly thinking about this and thinking about how there's just so many systems of, of justice systems and political systems and everything around us that are just surrounding me, and I feel way overpowered. And this psalm came to my mind. Now I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I feel like I'm surrounded on all sides. But I need to own the promise that my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so I, I just happened to have my banjo with me at the time, which has a bunch of broken strings, so I didn't play it today. Um, and I was just playing around with some minor chords because I was in a kind of Johnny Cash style of mood. And the song kind of just came out of me. And this became my, uh, my, my belief. This was my prayer. That, no, my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth, and I will not be afraid because I know where my help comes from. And then we lost. 
And the girls moved out to the main line. And they came back maybe twice a month because they were supposed to come every weekend, but once they got involved with sports, it just got to the point where it was like, oh, what's the point of them coming out here so that we have to drive them back out to Ardmore or wherever it was? So we barely ever saw them. And the judge actually cited the fact that they'd be living in a house filled with grown men as uh, one of the reasons why they cited against. So it wasn't even just that the judge went with the mom. The judge went with the mom because of us. (sighs) So this was kind of one of the first times that I had let myself believe that prayer changes things. To really let myself be idealistic. To be vulnerable. And then we got the exact opposite. So I couldn't sing that song for a very long time. Because it felt like... If my Lord is the maker of heaven and earth, then I couldn't be bothered to help with a simple custody case. And my, my housemates, we tried to deal with this. We tried to figure out some way of recouping our faith in the midst of unanswered prayers. And one of my my housemates uh, said, well, you know what? God doesn't always answer yes because we don't always know the right thing to pray for, right? We're like children who are always asking for candy all the time. And dad knows that's not always best for us and God sees more than we can. So sometimes God says yes to our prayers. Sometimes God says no. And sometimes God says not yet. And then it just so happened that I saw um, somebody (laughs) the next week introduce me to uh, a famous thought experiment um, called the, uh, the, the, the milk test. Anybody ever heard of this? It's an experiment that you can do. You can do it at home. It doesn't have to be milk. It can be almond milk if you're a vegan. That's fine. Um, but take a, uh, a request, a prayer request that you have. And instead of praying to God about it, go and pray to the milk jug every day. And then at the end of the week, if the milk jug has answered yes, no, or not yet, then the milk jug and God are equal. Yeah. (laughs) So when we frame it this way, that sometimes God says yes, and sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says not yet, we are giving, that's every answer. That's every possible answer right there. You might as well be praying to a jug of milk at that point. Um, And that hurt. And that stung. And before I talk at all about this scripture passage and... um, open up a little bit of, of, of hope, which, spoiler alert, I don't have it all figured out. I wondered if you might share um, a time or two where you sincerely prayed for something and the opposite thing happened. Ooh, last week. It's fresh.
how long were you in that interview process? Oh, six interviews over two and a half months, and it was a no. <laughs> well, I didn't get to the I didn't get to the end yet, so don't. So praying for loved ones who are trapped in addiction and oh, I'm so sorry. For praying for a loved one with mental illness and gambling addictions, slowly ruining their lives, I imagine. Yeah. What do you do with that? How do you hold that when it doesn't work? Yeah, I will acknowledge that when the Apostle Paul talks about the spiritual gifts, uh, as in like a special superpower that you have given from God, faith is one of those. There are some people in this world, I imagine some people in this room, for whom faith is super easy. And there are others in this room, like myself, for whom faith is a constant struggle. So if you're the kind of person who finds it easy to trust, to have faith in God, Hang on to that. Know that that is a gift. And please share with the rest of us so that we might live vicariously through you.
I like that. appreciate that, Matt. Especially the thought of remembering those small things, the small victories too. Yeah. Anyone else want to share how you deal with this for Kila's sake? Would you mind flipping back to the first um, slide from the scripture? <laughs> I didn't tell her that I was asking for that. The first scripture. There we are. Sometimes a no leads to something awesome, a better one. Mm. So I think of the Apostle Paul as one of the, uh, I mean, he is one of the pillars of Christianity, the church, um, one of those like super duper spiritual people. So when Paul says, we don't know how to pray, <laughs> I find comfort in that. I find comfort in the fact that the guy that wrote most of the New Testament doesn't know how to do the most basic Christian thing. <laughs> So if you all have struggled with prayer in the past or in the present, you're in great company because we don't know how to pray. Um, but the very spirit, the spirit of God intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Oh, and? Yeah, trusting that. So not only does God know what's best in the situation, 
But God knows the desire of your heart. And when you're asking God for something, let's say you're asking God for uh, a job that you really want. The specific of that is you're asking for this job. The heart of it, I can't speak for any of you, but when I've been in that sort of situation, the heart of it is I'm afraid I can't take care of myself anymore. There's a fear at the heart of that. And I, I didn't admit that to God. I didn't say, you know, dear God, I am scared that I can't pay the bills. Pay the bills for me, please. But that's at the heart of, of, of the, the heart of the heart. So the words that you're using to God, the specific requests that you're asking of God, it seems like don't matter all that much. That God, the Holy Spirit is translating the words that you're sending up to heaven into a groaning too deep for words, which, by the way, is a single word in the Greek. I don't normally go into Greek, but I'm a huge language nerd, and it's my favorite Greek word. Alaletas is the word. Isn't that beautiful? Alaletas. It's like a lollipop. You're right. Alaletas. It shows up one time in Scripture. It is a sound that surpasses words. It is a sound that is more, that carries more depth of meaning than any word can possibly convey. It might be a groan of sorrow. It might be a shout of ecstasy. It might be um, a laugh, that burst of emotion that has no language, that conveys the heart. That is the language of the spirit. The language of the heart. Some of the medieval mystics would say this is the best way to pray, by the way, in case you're looking for a new way to pray. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned it before. The, the Cloud of Unknowing, which is an old textbook from the 1300s, says that when a person falls off a boat and is drowning, they don't try to convince the person on the boat why they should be saved and how they should be saved and the method by which they should be saved. They don't try to convince the person up there that they're worthy of being saved first. They take all of their fear, all of their anxiety, all of their hopes and dreams for the future, and all of that gets wrapped up into a single help. And that help cry conveys more power than any amount of words. And so the mystics would say, when you pray, don't use words. Try to focus on the heart of the heart of the heart of the emotion behind everything and just allow that to become a sound. And whatever sound that might be. You might want to do this prayer by yourself, by the way, because it might be weird if you're on the bus or something and you're just... But uh, just to go off a little bit on a tangent, 
Thank you for that. Hmm. Yes, yes. And I wonder, too, how much of our ideas of prayer are wrapped up in the, the kind of the world of, oh, I don't want to point fingers, but, you know, capitalistic consumerism. Um, in which God is a, uh, a genie or a vending machine. God is someone that we come to when we have a need. Um, you know, the, the sort of thing that, like the manager at a restaurant where you only ever talk to him when something's wrong, where, all right, well, I have 15 minutes and I need you to fix this problem, right? Like God's our plumber. When... That's not at all how prayer is described, how God is described, how Jesus wants to be with us. Um, I wonder how else we pray when we're not worried about something, when we're not concerned about something. What else does our prayer life look like at that point? What sorts of things are we asking for when we're not asking for a specific miracle to happen? Are we spending our time talking to God and asking for patience? Asking for wisdom, asking for uh, love. Are we asking for the greater things in our in our daily lives? Are we only ever asking for the big things? Uh, now that I'm a father, I'm I'm seeing all kinds of metaphors in in scripture, um, where my children ask for things all the time because they're not able to take care of themselves for the most part. I mean, Charlie can make his own breakfast now which he can take his own shower now, but they're reliant on just about everything. But there are days when they just keep asking for things and there's huge things. You know, can we go to Disney World tomorrow? That kind of thing. And when all of our interactions all day long are just them asking me for things, I can start to hear the tone of voice that's coming when they're going to ask me for another big favor. And I instantly go, oh, 
what do I have to? Whereas those days where we're doing things together, having fun together, talking together about the things that we're doing, when those days, when they ask for something, I feel like they're more in the moment with me and they understand what we're doing and the things that they're asking for are more in line with what we're doing as opposed to can we I'm bored can we go to Disney World tomorrow it's more like hey we've been hanging out all day can we go to Rita's and I'm like yeah that would be a good thing to do next because we're in line with each other now we've been hanging out and talking and having fun together and so I wonder about how our prayers our big prayers might look if the rest of our prayers were small prayers, if the rest of our prayers for the rest of our lives were us just communicating with God the desires of our hearts, trusting that the desires of your hearts were put there by God. And so, of course, God wants to give you those things that God inspired you to want to have in the first place. And so I wonder, and this is something that I'm not perfect at, but I'm working towards I wonder how then I might change the things that I ask for, the big things, the Disney World trip tomorrow sorts of prayer requests, if I spend the rest of my time asking God for little things, for uh, joy, for peace, for a little bit more patience. Um, so maybe we, uh, we try that this week. Maybe we, we keep asking for the big things for the Disney World trip tomorrow, but we also fill our prayers with small things, with uh, little bits of gratitude, with little conversations with God about our character <laughs> and about uh, prayers of blessings for our neighbors and for our enemies. I wonder how that might change our conversation. And I do want you to actually try this so that we can talk about it later and you can share with me how this went. So I wonder if we can pray together now, trusting that the words that we pray are less important than the heart that is behind it. But I'm not just going to grunt into the microphone, because that would be weird for you. <laughs> <laughs>